I'm Jeffrey Smith, and we are now live with Garfield Lindsay Miller. Garfield, you are a co-writer of this amazing new film, Percy versus Goliath. And Percy Schmeisser is a hero to us all, a personal hero to me. Your film just launched very recently, is number one on iTunes in Canada, was hit number two in the United States. Uh, that must make you feel great. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been, my uh, Hillary Pryor, my writing partner, and I have been working on it for a long time, and it's definitely a vindication of all the work that we've been doing um, to see that it's, you know, having the response that it is. Well, we're going to talk about some of the backstory that didn't make it into the film, and we're going to talk about how the film came together as well. Um, right. I am so glad Christopher Walken played Percy. Uh, I think he did a great job. Yeah. Um, I know Percy. I've met him on almost every continent, and uh, I, I was. I think that Christopher did a great job. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he would have been anybody's. You know, if you're if you're imagining who's going to play Percy, I don't know that anybody would have chosen him as like the first person that comes to mind. But when <laughs> uh, when he you know stepped into the role, he did a fantastic job with the role, and uh, it was interesting because when he was cast for the role one of the requests from his agent was that, you know, we don't walkinize the script. We don't kind of turn it into, you know, this is the walk-in show. And I mean, we never would have done that, but, you know, I think what, one of the things that was attractive to him about the role was that it was something different that people wouldn't necessarily think of him to do and outside of the, the, the roles that he usually plays or is often known for playing. How did you get him? Uh, well, we got him through initially because we had a, a director Clark Johnson who um, had, you know he's an, he's an actor himself uh, and he was able to you know talk to him and kind of convince him that this would be a good role for him to play and um, you know Clark is really great working with actors and he knows you know how to speak with them and he knows what they want to do and what's going to get them excited and so I think it was it was really a, a, in large part uh, Clark's involvement and of course you know the script when he read the script he was excited about that as well. Now yeah. people who don't know Percy Schmeiser and don't know why they are, should be interested. Let's give the thumbnail, okay? Yeah. Uh, we'll get into some of the more detailed pieces, but what happened to Percy Smicer? Why did I run into him all over the world? Why is he considered a national or international hero? And why was he the subject of a film? Well, and back in 98, right around the time that GMOs were kind of first emerging on the scene, uh, first of all, he's a farmer from Saskatchewan, from Bruno, Saskatchewan, a small town uh, in the prairies of Canada. And uh, in 98 or 97, uh, I'm sure not sure again anymore what the year was, but he was um, contacted, he got a letter from Monsanto basically saying that he had violated their patent law by growing their genetic material on his land without a license. And, and he, you know, he always said that he never wanted their, their, their GMOs on his land. He's a seed saver. He'd been saving his seeds for 40 years and never bought the seeds, never intended to grow the seeds, never wanted the seeds. And instead of, you know, settling, which, which most farmers did at the time, because, you know, of course, Monsanto has a huge legal team and um, can put a lot of pressure on farmers. He decided he's going to not settle, not, not, not um, pay them anything and took them, you know, went to court with it. And um, that escalated. It was a six-year legal battle for him, and he went all the way to the Supreme Court. And through that process, he 
you know, started speaking about it, what he was going through, the experiences that he had, the challenges that he was facing. Um, you know, he, he, the, the process threatened his farm. Like he would have lost, he could have lost everything in the, you know, uh, they had, Monsanto had a lead on everything that he owned. Had he lost at the Supreme court, he would have been bankrupt. Um, wouldn't have had a roof over his head. Everything would have been gone. So I think the reason that everyone knows about him is because he, you know, stood up against these, you know, you know, megalithic company, you know, against considerable odds and took great risks to bring this story, his story to the world, ended up speaking around the world about it. Um, I mean, just constantly traveling the world, speaking about it and raised the profile of the, the you know, the anti-GMO food movement, um, made it a global issue, you know, received the right livelihood award for environmental protection. He received the Mahatma Gandhi award for um, civil service. Uh, for all that he did, and yeah, he became an icon for for, for the movement, and that's why we made the film. You know, we made the film. We I, I learned about his story as he was going through the legal battle. Hillary, my co-writer, and I uh, initially were thinking we would do a documentary about it because it, that seemed like the natural thing to do, but we really then realized pretty early on that there was already a documentary that had been made, and there were others in the works. And we said, well, why don't we turn this into a drama? you know, fiction, um, a scripted drama, a fictionalized account of what happened and uh, see if we can reach a different audience. Because, you know, you often with the documentaries, it's a lot of preaching to the converted, so to speak. And the hope is that we can, you know, get to tap into people that uh, might not otherwise be exposed to the story, his, his story and the issues that are uh, involved in it. You know, it strikes me that Monsanto had successfully sued and caused like as some people describe, extorted money uh, mm -hmm. from farmers, farmers that didn't even plant Monsanto stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd say, we have records that we went on, someone who was representing us went on your land, which is illegal, trespassed, took seeds, which is illegal, tested them and verified that your seeds are ours. Now, some in some cases, they would describe the location of the field and it wasn't even the farmer's field. Right. And uh, other cases that they would describe, you know, the, they wouldn't necessarily put the percentage. And of course, canola is really small. Yeah, you can fit a thousand seeds in your hand or hundreds of seeds in your hand. So. And they blow in the wind. Right. And yeah. I, remember, I remember talking to Percy and he said that there was a guy who was bringing canola seeds to market and he has a, Percy has a two mile long road that goes against his, next to his farm yeah. and the tarp blew off yeah. and a big um, cloud, a dark cloud of seeds landed right. and that that may have been where they tested for uh, yeah. contamination. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the details around his story are rather complex and it was one of the biggest challenges of telling the story. I mean, you don't want to get bogged down in the minutiae of it, although the minutiae is important. Um, but for me, what was really most important is the fact that here was a farmer who had been saving his seeds all his, his life. It's, that's been the, the tradition of his family for farming for, for many generations. And this new technology comes in and he doesn't change anything in his practices. And suddenly he's sued. You know, Monsanto went to great lengths to find the person who had quote unquote, sold him the seeds illegally. You know, they inv investigated, I think, probably everybody in the community. It's not a big community. They had, um, you know, they had hired the, um, a, a private investigation firm. They had many people look, you know, investigating them and interviewing people. They could never, ever find anybody who did sold them the seeds. 
um, be because I don't really think that that ever happened. Obviously, no one knows, right? Like this is the thing we don't know for sure. But I, I firmly believe that he did not ever buy these seeds or get these seeds from anyone. He never did anything that he had done differently for his for many many years for his entire career. And suddenly he's being sued by this company for patent infringement. And and so that to me was the most um, compelling part of the story. Uh, you know, some people say, well, he meant to segregate the seeds. He did it on purpose. There's, I mean, there's so many details around how these seeds ended up, you know, in his seed supply that I could literally spend that like, like hours talking just about that. Um, but the reality is he did nothing different than he had done the year before, the year before that, 10 years before that. And suddenly now he's being sued. And, and, you know, that just seems wrong to, to both Hillary and I, and also, of course, the issue, you know, the issues of this, these, these independent farmers who are working so hard to bring food to our, to our tables, and now their, their livelihoods are, are threatened and totally changed. You know, he is, was never able to grow canola again because of this, right? Like that was his, that was the crop, that was a crop he had known forever. And, and then after that, he just couldn't grow it anymore because all the, you know, there's, he was worried about it being, getting contaminated again. It was all contaminated. So, um, yeah, I just, that was to us what most egregious about the story and what we really wanted to, to, the story we really wanted to tell. You know, I did go into the details with him when I interviewed him in 2005. And if you go to the link, that's mm -hmm. uh, the description here, and you can also get there at Percy versus Percy VS Goliath.com. It'll bring you to that page. The trailer for your film is there. The ways to watch your film is there, but I also have right. the 2005 interview I did with him and he described how the power companies pay people to clear the next to the power lines mm -hmm. uh, from canola. So he gets paid and yeah. he hired, he has a, a farmhand and he sprays Roundup and notice that 60% of the, or a large percentage of the, of the canola did not die yeah. right along the roadway. Yeah. And so they sprayed again, it still didn't die. And he had his farmhand collect all of the canola from everything from all of his fields as seed that's what they do right. and it's a very long piece and it's and it collects it collected from there as well now he was not aware that oh this must be monsanto's roundup ready seeds you see seeds develop resistance automatically yeah. and and he was surprised to see how many uh living plants were there but he did what he always did collected his seeds, replanted the next year. And I really want to tell everyone what the Supreme Court and what the court said, but I don't want to be a plot spoiler. The way you set it up in the film was brilliant. You know, it's like there was tension, there was tension, there was tension, and there was results. And so mm. I'm going to not spoil the plot here. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I know what it's like to be <laughs> a writer and an artist and say you want to, you want to be in control of the attention. But can you, why don't we do this? Why don't we share some of the stuff that was not in the film that you thought, thought was particularly shocking or egregious or amazing? And I'll share some of my favorite stories as well. Maybe they're the same ones. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, a number of things. Uh, I mean, kind of going back to what you were just talking about there. So we, and we, in the film, we depict that, that we kind of talk about that story about how he was spraying around the, 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 the power lines and he noticed that a number of 60% of the plants hadn't died. And he was like, what's going on here? And so, I mean, he, he talks about this in court. Um, and so what he did is he, he did a test of about four acres of his land right around there. 
And the, those, none of those seeds, I mean, again, 60% of them didn't die. And, and what ended up happening is later that same season, he got, had a very bad injury. And so he was in the hospital and he, and he uh, asked his assistant to, you know, combine that field, swap that field, collect those, harvest those seeds and put them aside. Um, and his policy was that he would save the seeds from a field that had been fallow the previous year because those seeds tended to have the least amount of uh, weeds in them. And, and so that was just the, that was the field that was due to be uh, saved for, like he, he would always do that. And so there was no, I mean, people say, well, he intentionally selected those seeds for his harvest the previous year, the, but that was just how he always operated. Again, it was, this was his process for year to year. And he had his, his uh, assistant harvest those seeds and put them aside. And then those are the seeds that he planted. And that was, when he ended up getting this infringement. So, you know, did it, was it intentional? Did he say, I want to segregate seeds? Did he know that these were Monsanto seeds? I mean, I really don't think he did. Some people think that he absolutely did. In the film, we don't really land one way or the other, but well, again, what we are really focused on is the fact that this was his policy. In terms of other, you know, I mean, there's, man, there's so much. Um, another interesting thing is the year before that field was fallow, it had been, he had rented that land to uh, another farmer, someone who um, was, was uh, growing canola on that land. Someone who he says, and okay, this is all, again, um, I couldn't, we couldn't put the stuff in the film because we, we there's no way we could back this up. So this was Percy's telling us these stories. This is, this is hearsay, I guess, but this is what, you know, one of these stories I was like, I really wish we could have put it in, is that before, so the person who was, he had rented the land to, um was growing sea canola on there and he, later he found out that that farmer had ties to monsanto and he he said to me he thinks that that farmer was actually growing gmo canola on the land prior to when percy took the land back because it was like these you know in, two, in 96 97 whatever year was the first i think it was 96 the first year that you know gmo canola entered the marketplace um that those seeds had to be grown somewhere like they couldn't they, you know people were buying them they had somewhere they had to be growing and, and his speculation was that this field was actually one of those places which would mean that of course there had been contamination of gm canola in the land wait from from then so that's another possibility of where yeah. the canola may have come from and i'll add i'll add to something here so i used to know the numbers because i've i quoted it for years as i was traveling around the world um but i'm going to be fudging it here um when granola a uh, canola a lot of it is very small, it lands to the ground, and when you harvest it, I think it's about 10% of the canola that remains in the ground. Mm. That canola that remains in the seeds then create plants. And then you harvest that and you harvest that each year. So if you plant GM canola one year and you plant non-GM canola, I think it's for about 10 years, you still end up with levels of contamination that are above the European labeling requirements of 0.9%. Right. So it means you end up with a significant percentage year after year of genetically engineered canola and you can't stop it. You can't get rid of you it. You can't go in and clean it up with no. your hands. And so once you plant it, you're contaminated into the future. Yeah. But not only do the seeds blow, because they're really small, the pollen blows mm -hmm. and can cross pollinate. And um, it's so easy. In fact, it's so easy to contaminate canola that organic canola farmers tried to create a class action lawsuit against Monsanto yeah. because they couldn't grow non-GMO canola 
anymore. Yeah. yeah because, same, because all of the canola was contaminated. Yeah, they did. And the same lawyer who represented Percy, uh, Terry Zakreski, um, that he ended up representing them as well in the class wow. action. Yeah. Wow. Um, they couldn't so, make it. A, the judge yeah. ruled against the class action, so yeah. they dismissed it. They just, yeah. And, and it's interesting. Another friend of mine tried to get a class action in the U.S. for a different thing against Monsanto, and it was it was struck down by the judge. And it came out in the New York Times that judge was the lawyer of record for Monsanto previously, never declared it, and never accused himself. Yeah. And of course, Clarence Thomas, who's on the Supreme Court, used to work for Monsanto, and he wrote the opinion on a piece that that pushed Monsanto's fortunes ahead without recusing himself. So it's like a, a, to try and win in the courts is a very risky thing. And you'll see what Percy risked in the movie, Percy versus Goliath, which is a great movie. Go to Percy, Percy versus Goliath.com. You'll get to our page. You can watch in the words of Percy and you can watch the film. Now, I want to share what he told me that he, what he told me in 2005, he hadn't told anyone else. Mm. So uh, I was like, I was planning to write a second book. I wrote a book, Seeds of Deception, about health. I was planning to write a second book about agriculture, but I ended up writing a second book about health because it needed to go deeper. So mm. I never wrote the book where Percy was going to be a whole chapter. So my interview with him is like poorly lit. And it's like, it wasn't supposed to be uh, visible. It was just right. to be my background material as a writer. Mm -hmm. As you know, you, yeah. you sit there, you take a note, you record it. Well, I recorded it with a video instead of an audio. So, right. at the, you know, I hadn't looked at it in 16 years. And when your film came out, I went, we need to, and I was on tape. You yeah, know? yeah. And so it was yeah, a TV camera. So I had them trend, you know, digitized and put together. And, uh, but on there, he told me that someone had lied on the stand, clearly lied about him mm. buying <clears throat> seeds or, uh, or treating seeds. I think or it was, it was the, I think, the, I think I know the story you're talking about, uh, the person at the co-op where he would have had his seeds stored, um, who, so, you know, when you sell your, when you sell, you take your seeds to the marketplace. So basically they, they, we depict this in the film, you, you kind of dump your seeds and they take the sample and they hold on a sample of your seeds. And the person who's in charge of that had, you know, on this, I mean, again, this is well the story that he told me, I, we could not verify this. I know that he also told this story to his lawyer because I talked to Terry about it and he remembers it happening, but um, you know, there was no, there's no proof of this, but that he had, um, you know, gone uh, to this person, you know, drop, he delivered the seeds, they take a sample of the seeds. And then when Monsanto came, the person gave those, that sample, like, you know, as part of the process, legal process, he gave that sample to Monsanto, which actually wasn't supposed, apparently supposed to do. Like that's, that's Percy's property, even though they have it uh, on hand there, but that he gave it to Monsanto, then they tested that, they used, and they said that the, there was a 99% contamination. It was basically pure GMO seed that went into the, the legal cases. That was the part of the evidence against him. And then years later, he ran into the same person who had testified against him at a hockey rink. I guess there, I think the, his, first his granddaughter was uh, ice skating and he was there and the man came up to him and said, you know, uh, I, that wasn't your seed. I, well, well, he didn't say it then. He, he invited, he said, I want to talk to you. Right. So Percy goes over to his farm. Mm -hmm. This is Morris. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So he goes over to the farm and he goes, see that chemical? There was all these chemicals mm. from Monsanto. Right. And he 
said he basically got that chemical for free to because, testify against yeah. Monsanto. And but you'll see again, in Percy's yeah, words in my interview, Percy, it's like, and you'll see in, in Percy's words, you perjured yourself. He says, that's right. He yeah. was admitting yeah. that he lied to Percy, who visited him on his farm, who pointed out that he had received free chemicals. Yeah. Now, two, two, two additional pieces. Another person had come up to him and said they were offered $25,000 worth of chemicals from Monsanto to, to speak out publicly and perjure themselves or you know, to testify that he had, that the person who told Percy said he had been offered 25,000 and someone else that he knew had been offered 25,000. The other thing that Percy says is that within two, three months, Morris, who admitted this, was, was dead from a liver issue. Yes. And Percy suspects that the guy knew he was dying right and did not want to die with this on his conscience yeah that's what that's what percy tells that's what that's the same story he told me exactly yeah so yeah. anyway you'll see on my site and uh i sent this note to bear who bought monsanto last week hmm. and i said according to uh, it was actually someone at our institute for responsible technology said we have did an interview you'll see what mm -hmm. we sent them would you like to comment? It was basically these allegations. And you'll see the result. You'll see what Bear says in response to that. It's right up there on the top. Oh. Just click it, it opens up, and you'll see what they say and how what they chose not to say. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, these are the things, you know, again, we would have loved to put these elements in the film, but we had to have everything very closely vetted. Every word is vetted by a lawyer um, to make sure that, because, you know, obviously, we're all all the producers and the production is concerned about uh, legal issues you know Monsanto and Bear are litigious companies as I'm sure you're aware well and, you were right you wrote a whole book you did a whole movie about the fact exactly. that they're litigious That's, of course yeah. they are yes so exactly so you know we had to be very careful uh and and we couldn't put these stories in um you know it's this it, and I understand that I mean it's you know someone's word and you want to have something make sure it's in the public record for 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 accuracy. Um, Speaking of accuracy, yeah. can you tell us without, I mean, not the areas yeah, yeah. that will spoil the sure. plot, what was, what did you have to create as an aggregate personality or what did you have oh, yeah. to, like what was accurate and what was not accurate, but approximate? Sure. I mean, you know, a lot of the role of writing a story about, a, you know, writing a film, which takes place over a hundred minutes, you know, taking six years, seven years of someone's life and bring it down <laughs> to 90 minutes is about figuring out, you know, how to, how to tell the story as uh, efficiently and as effectively as possible. And that requires taking multiple characters and creating composites, you know, in real life, the Schmeisers have a large family, multiple children, grandchildren, many grandchildren. And so we just felt that would be so many characters. It'd be very difficult to kind of keep track of all that. We have one, one son who kind of represents the, the, the family and one granddaughter who kind of represents the hope for the future. And, and by the way, I interviewed Percy's son, John, yeah. and that's also at the link. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him like three days, four days ago. So you can catch up. What was it like for him <laughs> when the family was being attacked by Monsanto? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, John's been great uh, in supporting the film. Obviously it's very sad that, Percy passed away last October, so uh, um, he was he hasn't been able to you know 
support the film himself, but John has done a great job of getting the film out there. And, I, and from what I, we understand, uh, he and the family are very happy about it. Um, and, the way, and so that's, that was a huge relief for Hillary and I and all of the producers involved, you know, in terms of telling a story about someone and a family, you, you really are, you want to get it right. You want to make sure that you're not upsetting them. Oh, uh, even in know, a documentary, I did a documentary sure. about several people called Secret Ingredients, and you know we showed it to the fa- the primary family, yeah. and they were happy with it. So anyway, yeah. go it's, ahead. no, it's super stress. It's like one of the biggest stresses of all the process. You want to make sure you don't want to. They they they're give, they're trusting you to tell their story. You want to tell it accurately. And, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You know, when I was writing Seeds of Deception, my the the first chapter was all about Arpad Pustai, and I spoke to him for days and days. But it was easy. I just sent him what I wrote and said, mm-hmm. is this accurate? Yeah. So I had it easy. You know, you had to <laughs> yeah. translate it into film and all this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, go so, ahead. Yeah. So, so other composites, uh, you know, uh, Rebecca Salco, who plays, uh, is played by uh, Christina Ricci. She is kind of represents the, uh, I guess, the NGO movement that uh-huh. uh, tries to, you know, help get the story out in a sense uses Percy to get to for their own means. Now, is this actually exactly how it happened? No, absolutely not. There's a lot of creative liberty taken there. But again, it was, uh, you know, our decision to try and figure out how to streamline the story as much as possible. Um, those are kind of the, the biggest composites uh, in terms of characters uh, that we kind of put together, you know, like it, there were, we tried to, um, you know, the, the Monsanto had a number of lawyers initially, and that, that number does grow when you go from the initial case uh, on, on the, on the uh, provincial level, then to like the appeal, it, it grows again. And then when you get to the, the Supreme Court, there's literally had 19 lawyers there. So that, and, and it was always just Terry. I mean, there were other people, NGOs that came in and spoke on behalf of Percy at the Supreme Court, but Terry was really always on his own. And so that was that we didn't have to do a composite there, but we did change the characters' names. I mean, we changed everybody's names again, according to, uh, based on our lawyer's recommendation. We changed the names of everyone except Percy and Louise. Um, just even though because you know, it was just make it less. You have to be you have to be uh in touch with your inner attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, we, and we have every, every line of the script was vetted and we have to do like, we document it, we show where we get, if, if, if anything is attributed to something a Monsanto lawyer said or something that their PR people said, we would have to go and find that in the record and like then put that in the script and lawyers would look at that and say, okay, yeah, we, you can use this. So it was, it was a really meticulous process. During the words that were used um, by Christopher Walken during the court scene. Yeah. Were those accurate word for word or were they yeah. composite? No, those were, I mean, again, we're cutting down, uh, you know, uh, a great deal. The, the court transcripts are thousands of pages, but every word in there is exactly what he said. In, in the I was case. wondering about that because yeah. when I was planning to do the chapter, which I never did, yeah. I was going to get all the court records and, mm. and, 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 pull all the things. I know what it's like, man. How many years did it take to put this out? Oh, I mean, we, I was trying to look today because I knew we were going to talk about this, about like when exactly we started. And I think it was around 2003, 2004, when we first, you know, I first read an article in Common Ground Magazine, which is like an alternative magazine out of Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, about a story. And uh, I brought that to Hillary Pryor, who is my producing partner, who I was working with at the time. Uh, in Victoria, British Columbia. And, you know, that was, yeah, that was 2003. And then we, 
you know, we reached out to Percy and Louise and I said, you know, we really love to tell your story. How do you feel about that? We, they were excited. So then we, uh, you know, Canada is, is a great country for filmmakers and that there's, a, there's quite a bit of uh, support uh, for development of projects. And so we applied to Telefilm Canada, which is a major feature film funding body. And they, uh, you know, the story was national news at the time. It was, so they, they th thought it would be a good one to support. And so we were very fortunate to get some, some money that allowed us to option his story, you know, the, and start writing. And I think, yeah, I think that was, it had to be around 2004 to, I think 2005. And then, you know, the film, was released in Canada in the fall of last year. Um, so that's what, 15, 16 years of, of work. And I mean, obviously we're not working full time on it, but that was how long it took. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, and you it's have a, a different process. name in Canada. What, why did you have a one name in Canada and one name in the U S yeah, well, I, yeah. That's a good question. I think you'd have to talk to the, the, the various distributors about that. Um, you know, the name was always, I mean, when, we had various names as we were working on it. I think initially we were thinking blowing in the wind was one that we kind of <laughs> toyed around with. And then um, I think the working title when we were writing was Percy versus uh, Percy versus Monsanto. Like the, basically, I mean, the, the court case was Monsanto versus Schmeiser, um, but we thought that was a good one to work with. And then, uh, you know, I think that was, and then in, in terms of when we got to production, I think they just changed it to Percy and in Canada, they released it as Percy. And then, the U.S. they wanted to, I guess, bring in that kind of biblical struggle a bit more, which which I like. Uh, and so in in the U.S. it's Percy versus Goliath. I imagine that will be what is is internationally as well. In fact, there's a there's a documentary David versus yeah. Monsanto, yeah. which a friend of mine yeah. made. Yeah, um, that's a great film. So. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I, I have to say, I, I want to let me just chime in here about my experience with Percy, yeah, and I'd love to sure. hear your yeah, from yeah. The heart. Um, I remember that one of the first times I saw him speak was at Bioneer's plenary. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I was mm -hmm. crying. There was 5,000 people in the audience crying. There was yeah. 20,000 people that were connected by satellite. They were all crying because it was like, it is kind of not biblical, archetypal. Mm. archetypal mm -hmm. what he was saying about what monsanto was doing to farmers and farm communities and seed saving and how they were using the law and whatnot and i was at the time already a non-gmo activist i have been doing that for 25 years and i realized his story was sensational you know it was tragic yeah. and sensational. And I have to, like you said, NGOs who used it for their good. Okay, so it's like, I have to say this. Like when I was interviewing Arpad Pustai and I, I, I read, I'd finished all my days of interviewing. He read everything. I had written the chapter. And then I read another thing where he had been burglarized and all of his scientific notes had been stolen, you know, so that he didn't have a copy of them. And I called him up and I said, you never told me you were burglarized. He said, well, I didn't think that was important. I said, Percy, this is great news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't great news for him. No. But like, I like to show the yeah. outrageous behavior of Monsanto. So yeah. I, I, you know, from a drama storytelling standpoint, this archetypal story, yeah. it catches the blood. And it, you know, he spoke 
all over the world. Yeah. He's one of the, like the two people in the world that's spoken more than me on GMOs. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yeah. Percy, thank you for sacrificing your health and your life, traveling around the world yeah. and, and doing this. Um, but it was like the concept of what Monsanto did to this poor farmer, and they picked the wrong guy. Yeah. He's not he was the mayor of his town. He was a yeah. member of the of the provincial legislature. He was he 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 was a community builder. He had, you know, climbed in the Himalayas. Yeah. You know, or, you know, he was he was a powerhouse. Yeah. And they weren't gonna go against him, as John says in my interview for his son. He's like he dug in his German heels, his German <laughs> yeah. heritage heels every time Monsanto came up against him. So it was like the perfect person, the perfect story. And I am so grateful for you to have written it and stayed with it all these years, nearly 20 years to see the fruit of your labors. So yeah. back over to you. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything. I think the, the description of it as an archetypal story is, is, is ab absolutely right on. And, you know, the, the whole concept of GMOs, the notion that this, especially with Monsanto and the creation of it, and, you know, I'm sure you, you know much better than I, but one of the most profound things about it is that it emerged as a way to sell more chemicals, not as a way to feed people and, and, and increase health. And like that, that the, the, that it was all about profit, nothing else for the company. I mean, really from the, from the onset. And of course the, the marketing and branding of it was something very different, but the reality of it was just a way to, you know, extend their patents on their chemicals and to sell more of them. And um, the, that I feel like it is, the, the this this notion that there's you know people's well-being and livelihood getting trampled by the need the greed and the need for more just more profits with 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 no interest in the common good or the public good and and here was someone who was you know very as you say like this and this was another area where we definitely differed from the reality like Percy was in the public sphere before you know, he was swept up into this case. He was the mayor of his town. He was an MP for the, in the province. Um, and we, but we felt it was, you know, to even take the R-type further, we felt it was important to tell the story from, but just he's a farmer and he gets swept up into this. But, you know, he was a sensitive, very sensitive man. Although he was as tenacious as anyone, he was very sensitive and emotional and would wear his heart in his sleeve and was the most generous person. Like when we went to meet with him and Louise and talk with them both, uh, you know, they would just welcome us in and it was, it was, uh, very salt of the earth, very, there was no pretense about it. It was, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, very, uh, just what you saw is what you got. And they, you know, it was, it was, it was wonderful and spending time with them. And, uh, I mean, one little other story that, that I thought was really profound about it. We ended up filming on a farm in Manitoba. Um, we shot the film in Manitoba because of for tax credit purposes, although it took place in Saskatchewan. And, you know, we were looking for a farm to film on and it turned out that we, when we found the farm, we found out that the farmer, and this was not, it was all coincidence. The farmer who, whose farm it was had actually supported Percy. He was one of the people that had been sending in checks back in the day when Percy was, you know, struggling financially during the legal battle. And uh, so we ended up, there's a photo in the film of, at one point where he goes and he looks at reads one of the letters that these these people these farmers are sending him supporting him in his cause and the the photo in that is of the family is, is of the family of the people on the farm we were filming oh, and wow. i mean it and and it was and it's the same you know these these people that are uh, the matheson family they, they these people are 
they're farmers. This is their livelihood. They're very much, you know, this means so everything to them. And, and so, and he meant everything to person and he really knew that it meant everything to all the people that he was supporting. And so, yeah, we were, we just felt very fortunate to be able to be a part of all that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I want to say that, um, for your information, cause I have a, a, a different lens on the whole GMO thing mm -hmm. as a, as a, the one I've worked on. Percy was the poster child for Monsanto to use, to demonstrate to other farmers don't cross Monsanto. Arpad Pustai was the poster child for scientists saying, don't cross mm. Monsanto. He was fired and, and his reputation destroyed. And mm. then Zambia was the poster child for a country that tried to, to say, no, we don't want, we don't want genetically engineered grain as, as um, famine relief because GMOs are supposed to feed the world. In each case, it was the, the basic tenet of GMOs are they're to feed the world, they're safe, and they're good for farmers. And these three poster children were saying, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. And they got the full wrath yeah. because they had to be pummeled, yeah. pummeled so that no one else would show the truth that it doesn't actually feed the world, that it isn't safe, and that it's bad for farmers because those were the three main lies. Yeah, and then it was well regulated, which which is the fourth, and so they just they just hid that by having their own people uh, put into the FDA, etc., and their own people working on their behalf yeah. at Health Canada. Um, and I do, you know, you said he wore his heart on his sleeve. I was he was in a panel once where I was interviewing him uh, with several people, and I, I asked like, what were some of the sh most shocking moments, or what were the life lessons that you learned? And at one point. Percy just got very personal and was crying about what it was like for his his family, for Louise. Yeah, yeah. And he got the most beautiful standing ovation. He was not, he knew that it was okay for him to be emotional. Yeah. You know, even yeah. though, even though he's Canadian, <laughs> even yeah. though he has German yeah. roots, even yeah. though he's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, he knew it was okay because that was the only way he communicated. Yeah. That was him. It was just who he was, absolutely. And, and it was he was such a profoundly impactful speaker. I want to encourage people, go to Monsanto verse, that's a VS, I mean, uh, Percy verse Goliath, sorry, Percy verse Goliath. There's a link to it on the side. You can watch Percy in his own words, and please watch the trailer. And after you watch the trailer to Percy verse Goliath, watch the film. Watch the film not only because it's a good film, but it supports those that have decided to, to, to invest in getting the truth out. So people like to make donations for all these things. Put your donation budget into your entertainment budget and pay for the film and watch the film and support those that, that spent so many years putting it together so that other of these type of revelation narratives can be brought into the, to the, to the to your th movie theater and to your home theater thank you so much jeffrey for saying that you know i just was at a festival uh earth x festival just to quickly uh point out that 
I was talking with the person, the curator of the festival, and he said, you know, there's so few films that get made that are like this. And, you know, it's a real shame because these are the stories that people need to hear. And why do you think that is? And it's, it's really, really hard to make these films. You know, everybody's like, who wants to see a film about patent infringement? Who wants to see a film about a farmer? It's like, yeah, you have to, it's a huge uphill battle to try and get these stories made. You know, the budgets that are required are obviously in the millions. And so, yeah, by supporting these films, you're, you're, you're speaking that, you're saying that you want more of them. So that's, that's really appreciated. And for everyone listening, please share this interview because that way you multiply. If you know, you're already mm -hmm. here at this point in the interview, in our discussion, you're in it. So mm -hmm. now it's like, yeah, I'm gonna go pay for it. And I'll tell a thousand of my closest personal friends by sharing <laughs> it on social media. Okay. I wanna remind people, go to Percy versus Goliath. I wanna thank you, Garfield, for your work on this. And this is a story that needed to be told and you and your partner wrote it and congratulations for so many writers I know who don't get their stuff made into a movie with an A-list actor playing the main character. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you for supporting the film and uh, for all the work that you do. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.